0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today at FC. Whether you are watching online or you are in Knoxville, if you got a Bible, let's go to John chapter five. Uh, just want to recap night of worship on November fifteenth. Uh, man, I hope that you guys will be here. It's going to be an incredible night. We're going to introduce some uh, new songs, uh, some songs that our team has written, and uh, we're going to pray and uh, we're going to we're going to sing and just have an incredible experience. So I hope you guys will will come and be a part of uh, that night. We're, we're in a series called Together. And um, what we've been talking about starting last Sunday was that together we bless and together we expand. And uh, all kind of pointing to and culminating uh, towards our vision offering. Last week, I shared that our vision, in other words, our, our, the reason why we exist as a church is to, is to essentially develop mature disciples of Christ in relational environments. And so we unpacked that vision a little bit last week. That's the why uh, behind who we are as a church. And, and so today I wanna ask the next question. Uh, and the next question was, would be how? How do we uh, make disciples in relational environments? And, and uh, we wanna begin to unpack what that looks like. For, for us, we use three statements. It's, it's, it's we simply share the love of God, we connect to the people of God and we equip for the mission of God. And so that's the, the, the how of how our church uh, essentially makes disciples. And so I want to begin to unpack today what the, the sharing piece of this uh, vision really looks like. How do we as a church share the love of God? Now, how many of you uh, would go on record today by a show of hands and you would say, I believe that our country is moving more towards Christianity and more towards Christian values. Uh, Anybody think that in Knoxville here? No hands, no hands. Okay. How many of you would say that you believe that uh, culture is actually moving moving further and further away from Christianity and Christian values? Okay, everybody. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that. It seems like the world is kind of going crazy right now. You've got the war in Ukraine, you've got the war in Israel, you've got the culture wars that are taking place in our country, um, so it blows my mind that people are protesting against Israel instead of protesting against terrorism. Um, and, and, and so I don't, by, by the way, why do people hate Israel so much in our world Why is it that there seems to be this war that has been going on for generations? There's a lot of history to unpack uh, there that could take a long time, but um, just kind of high level, one kind of concept for everybody to think about. The reason why um, everybody tends to hate Israel is because Satan hates everything that God loves, and God loves Israel, God loves Jerusalem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right outside of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus uh, died on the cross in Jerusalem, right outside the city gates. We, we know that Jesus is gonna return in Jerusalem physically. And so God loves that area. God loves Israel and Satan hates everything that God loves. And so that's kind of the, the big picture, including, by the way, you and me. Satan hates God's church, And so we see ourselves in this culture war here in our own country. Christian values are being labeled as this, you know, far-right Christian nationalism. In other words, what they mean when they say all that is that you and I are crazy. (laughs) America, though, hasn't always been like that. And when you think about kind of the phases of American culture, there was a time when our nation was actually helping advance the Judeo-Christian values that, that we hold dear uh, today. Uh, there, were, there, there was not only cooperation, but there was advancement. At some point though in our history, uh, institutions started to be not okay with Christian values and prayer was removed from schools and um, there, were, there was tension. But, but even when that was going on, our, our culture at that time uh, well, wasn't like they were pressing against uh, Christianity. Um, they were, in fact, still helping the church in a lot of ways. I mean, even into the 80s and even into the 90s, I mean, we had youth pastors preaching at school assemblies and uh, doors open wide to uh, our, our, our staff and, and, and leaders. And, and so something happened, though. I don't know when, maybe in the early 2000s, 2010s, when um, institutions and schools and, and whatnot became very hostile towards Christianity, and even now condemning Christian values. A recent study by Pew Research proves this. Um, 50 years ago, uh, 90% of our country were Christians. They said they were Christians. And so, um, you know, it was, it was kind of the, 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 the popular or, uh, you know, most people were embracing uh, similar values, but then um, in, by 2020, Uh, The study shows that only 64% of America claims to be Christians. Now, we know when someone claims to be a Christian, um, that may not necessarily mean that they're practicing their Christianity. So 64% seems high, but we know it's most likely uh, lower. But because of the trends of our culture, uh, there's a lot of people right now that project that by the year 2070, only 35% of America will be Christians um, again, 35% might be who, people who claim to, to, so it might even be uh, smaller than that. So how are we going to reverse this? How are we going to get the gospel to our city? How are we going to get the gospel into the hearts of those who are lost? How are we going to raise a generation of young people to not just embrace Christian values, but embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Where do you think the help is going to come from? Is the help gonna come from our school systems? No, schools aren't coming. In fact, one of our own teenagers tried to hang a poster up at Maribel High School uh, two weeks ago uh, just to invite kids to be a part of our dodgeball tournament amongst all the other activities that students invite You know, their friends to join, but because it was a church related function, she was told she was not allowed to do that. Now, that could have been a rogue employee. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, I think the reason was stated separation of church and state, which is not in our Constitution, by the way, which is not a law, by the way. That whole term came from a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to a church who had or heard a rumor that the state was going to make another denomination, the state denomination. And Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter and said, that's not going to happen. There's a separation between church and state. They're not going to declare any one denomination the main religion of that state. See, separation of church and state concept for Thomas Jefferson was to protect the church from the state not to keep God out of school. So that's a very misinterpreted um, understanding. And so if my kids went there or if I was an employee of that school, uh, I would do some research and find out because certainly they're not trying to violate um, our Christian students' right to invite their friends to school functions. Certainly they would not, uh, in fact, do that. It's not a law. It's all about leadership. I know the county schools are wide open to our Pastors, our staff, and, and uh, they encourage that. Um, so I would expect the same uh, from other schools. So the schools aren't coming to help. Who, who is going to help? Little League's not coming to help. Little League's not going to raise a generation of men and women who love Jesus and, 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 and value Christian morality. In fact, Little League takes more kids out of church than the pride movement. Little League's not coming to help. Trump's not coming to save our country. Uh, no matter who you want to vote for, it might get better in, in our opinions for, for a few years, but then somebody else will be elected. Like he's not coming to save us. Politicians only use us as Christians uh, for vote. I mean, let's just be honest. Whoever's in the majority, they want to win. They want to be reelected, so they're going to go with whoever uh, is 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 the you know the majority. And so. Um, The state's not coming to help us. The the state's not gonna create any laws that are gonna create warriors for Jesus. Um, Morality's not gonna grow based on anything the state would would actually uh, do. So where are we gonna get the help from? The early church exploded. I mean, exploded under the persecution of the Roman government. The Roman government hated Christians. They killed Christians, and yet the early church Exploded. See, the church can and will flourish under persecution. Christianity will grow despite the condemnation of our culture. Nothing is going to stop God's church from advancing and growing. Christ doesn't lose. Christ will not lose. Christ cannot lose. Amen? So how's it going to work? How's it gonna work? Who's coming? Nobody is coming to help us. God's plan, though, is to spread the gospel and make disciples through his church. You and I, nobody else is coming. It's on us. It's me and you. It's God's church. That's the plan. The only help we have comes from the only person we need. His name is the Holy Spirit. And we have ready access to him, He fills every single one of us, and so God is in fact calling you and I to make disciples. Now despite your personal problems, you're called to make disciples, you realize that. I have problems, you have problems. The devil gives you problems to distract you from God's mission. God might give you problems to grow you in God's mission. Either way, despite what we are facing individually, you and I are, are called to be a part of the mission that God has given us to make disciples, right? So, how do we do that? Well, it starts by being willing to share the love of God. So, let me unpack what that looks like uh, today. First, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus famously said, Come and follow me, and I will make you wealthy come and follow me and I will make you a good moral person. Come and follow me and I will provide a great nation for you. No, come and follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. There's a lot of things that I might ask Jesus to make me or develop me into. I might want to be a better leader, grow a business, do, you know, a lot of different things, have a great family, be be wealthy or, or, or successful but Jesus promises that when we follow him, that he in fact will make us or develop us into someone who fishes for men. In other words, that we would, we would share the gospel. We would, we would be able to, in some ways in the sphere of influence that we have, point people to Jesus. Now, some of you would not get up here and preach a message. That's what God has called me to do. Some of you very easily sit across a table drinking a cup of coffee and you can share the gospel with someone and lead them to Christ. Some of you are gifted at that. Some of you maybe aren't there yet. So what can you do? What, and how do we do this? I mean, Jesus modeled this to us. He invested into 12 men. Uh, over three years, he developed them. He made them, which gives you and I hope, right? We're not where we need to be today. Right, But but we, when we are following and trusting Christ, he grows us, he he develops us into someone who can do this in a better way, gifted uh, and who has the Holy Spirit within us. Jesus wants you and I to develop into this person who can share God's love, who can be a fisher of men. That simply means they're gonna be an influencer, someone who invests into others that plant seeds of hope of the gospel, And so let me give you three points today that practically show us how you can do this better and how we do it as a church. First of all, we've gotta be willing to share our life. You gotta be willing to share your life with people who don't know Jesus. You've gotta be willing to be in relationships with people. Uh, I, I, I believe wholeheartedly that God wants us to develop these relationships. You cannot share God's love by simply hiding and the walls of our church, and the walls of your neighborhood or your home, you actually have to share your life. Now, it seems so simple to us that we would share our life, and as we live, we would invest into our relationships and our friendships and our families and our coworkers. But you see, God really does this on purpose. In Acts 17, uh, verse 26, it teaches us that God determines where you and I are gonna live and when. And so God has positioned you in your home in this community, in this state, God has, has, has showed you this is where you're gonna live and do life. This is where he's called you to be because you're here for this season, for right now. And so God has called you to do that in a specific way. He's given you a sphere of influence. You've got your family. You've got your close friends. You've got your extended friendships. You've got your coworkers. You've got a community and city and state around you, right? This is the influence that God has has given to you. Some of you have great influence. Many people, you know, are under your leadership. Um, maybe, maybe you feel like yours is a little smaller. Doesn't matter. Whatever influence God has given to you, we steward that well. Here's what Jesus tells us to do in Matthew 5, 16. You're familiar with this. He says, let your light shine before your sphere of influence, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So we're to live in such a way that we light up the darkness, that our good deeds, the way that we treat people, the way that we act in public, the way that that we have a relationship with our spouse, the way that we parent, everything about us would bring light into the darkness, that you would live a life of character, that you would live a life of service, and that you you would impact the people around you by simply... um, living as Christ has called you to live. One of the strategies that we talk about here is simply called invest and invite. We invest in relationships. We, we grow those relationships. We have friendships uh, with people that aren't connected to a church, that don't know Jesus. And, 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 and because we are investing in that, we're going to dinner, we're hanging out at the ball field, we're going to games together together. We're investing because we truly care about people in in a relationship, we're sharing our life. And then at the appropriate time, we invite them to church. We invite them to an event. We invite them on a Sunday morning. You know, most Sundays are great Sundays to invite people to come to church. Specifically, when we do a Christmas series, that is a great time to invite people to church. When we do a night of worship, that is a great opportunity to invite people to church. You can invite people to your small group. You can invite people to men's uh, uh, breakfast and and women's uh, dinners and and, and, and whatever event that we are doing. This is a way that you can invite people who are not connected to a church, that they can experience other Christians, they can be under the preaching of the gospel, and they can be encouraged by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, think about this, Knoxville, stay with me. How many of you, by show of hands, Taylor, look around in just a second, when you came to faith in Jesus, in other words, when you got saved, when you put your faith in Jesus, it was at a church service, a youth service, it was, it was at or on a campus of a, a local church. How many of you, by show of hands, when you came to Christ? That is almost everybody in this room. <laughs> Doesn't it make sense? that if this room in, in Knoxville, our student uh, area, when they, when, when they meet on Wednesday nights, doesn't it make sense that if this is where God tends to do that work the most, doesn't it make sense for us to try to encourage people that don't know Jesus into this room? It, it does to me. If this is where most of, it, uh, most of us experience the Holy Spirit and, and God changed us, it only makes sense that we would invest and invite people into this room, into these, these spaces, into these relational environments, so that they can hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit of God works in and through their life and they give their life to Jesus. There was a survey once and statistically, they found that 82% of unchurched people, people who don't go to church, would actually attend church if they were invited. Eight out of 10 people would would come if they were invited. However, the same study revealed that only 2% of church members will ever invite an unchurched person to church. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. Let's not let let that happen to us as a church. Let's be free uh, and gracious with our invitations. Let's not be afraid of people rejecting our invitation. um, They might reject me. They might get upset. So... It's not about me, right? I'm gonna plant a seed. I'm gonna plant a seed. So you should come to church. We'd love to have you, right? That should be something that we can regularly do. We're investing in relationships so then we can actually invite them into environments where they're gonna hear the gospel. Let your light shine and then God does the drawing. God is the one that actually leads people to make these decisions. Right? We invite people into our life. We share our life. Invite people into your home. Watch the game. You know, invite people to meals. Invite people to breakfast. Do that intentionally with someone who is far from God or someone that does not go to church. Why? So that you, can, you care about them in that way. You're sharing God's love in that way. You're letting your light shine In that way, people will accept your relationship before they'll accept your religion. And some of us are just not real busy with that. We've got to invest and we've got to invite. We talk about a phrase called care through prayer. Uh, Care through prayer. Most of the conversations that you have uh, are going to give you evidence. There's going to be hints that, that somebody has some type of pain or some type of hurt. I mean, just try it at work tomorrow. When you go to work and you have a conversation, at some point in the first few minutes, they're going to talk about something that's frustrating in their life—something about family, something about you know uh, their their personal finances. So, something is going to come up, and it might be a slight statement or it might be you know a deeper statement. But if you're listening, you can hear that there's some frustration or pain point in their life, and instead of doing what most you know southern you know, good old Christian people do, you know, I'll be praying for you, you know, and then never do it. Why don't we make it a habit that when we hear that pain, we say, you know what, can I just pray with you for a minute? And we give a 20 second prayer. We're not, you know, we're, we're not gonna put them to sleep with this prayer. We're just gonna say a short prayer that God, would you heal the situation? Would you show your grace in this situation? In Jesus name, amen. You know, I think a seed like that could transform someone's life. Could encourage someone who's really struggling today. Like, be willing to invest like this. Be willing to share your story. How God saved you. Right? How did God save you? How did you come to faith? Well, you could say that in sixty seconds or less. You could give the long version, or you could give the short version. But but long story short is I was lost, and I realized that Jesus came to save me from my sin, and I. I committed my life to him. And since then, man, God has transformed my life. Just be willing to share your stories. I I think some people are just simply ashamed of Jesus. Single ladies, for a second, single ladies, I, I want you to think about teenagers, right, girls. Think about the perfect guy, right? What he looks like, character qualities, virtues, get him in your head, right? Let's say that you meet that guy today, And he says that I want to date you and you want to date him. So you make the decision that you're going to date. And he said, this is the, this is the only catch. The only catch about this relationship is that we can't be seen in public. So when we go out on a date, we're going to drive separate cars, right? When we're in public, we can't hold hands. We're not going to talk, right? Uh, We can only do that in private. What would you think about that perfect guy that he's ashamed of you. (laughs) Why are so many Christians saying and thinking that our faith is only a personal matter and I just want to keep that to myself and I pray at home and I I study at home and I watch online only and and I don't want to be around. Sometimes we've got to just be honest with ourselves and ask the question, am I just ashamed of my faith? Am I ashamed of Jesus Am I afraid to get made fun of? And I'm, am, am I afraid for people to laugh at me because of my faith? What a tragedy if we call ourselves a Christians and we're ashamed of the gospel. Paul, in fact, said, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto men and the only name that, that you and I can and will be saved. Hmm, some of us are ashamed. We, we, we want everything uh, that Jesus will give to us we don't, want to, we don't want to be seen with him. What kind of faith is that? I think, it's, I think it's weak at best, maybe non-existent. When we say share the love of God, we mean share our life, right, in, 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 in everyday life situations that, that come our way. All right, let's look at John chapter 5. This is, a, this is a passage of scripture where Jesus does, in fact, share his life in the moment. In John 5 verse 1, It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. Uh, By the way, they have uncovered this. I've been there and I've seen this uh, sheep gate. I've seen the pool uh, with my own eyes. Very cool, Uh, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he knew what was going on with this guy's life. He said to him, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Now, when you read that, what do you think the guy's going to say? (laughs) No, I'd love to be an invalid and lay by the pool of Bethesda for the rest of my days. (laughs) Of course, he wants to be healed, right? Why does he ask him this question? (laughs) I I think it's important that you and I Ask good questions. You know, when someone talks about their, their, their pain, whether it's a relationship, their frustrations, well, do you want God to give you the answer to that? Well, then, yeah, well, then you're gonna have to seek him, right? The sick man answered him just like we would expect, sir. He says, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, into step, while I'm going another step's down before me." What is he talking about? Well, there was a myth uh, that when the water stirs up, there's some kind of bubbling spring there. So it, it, you know, think of uh, Old Faithful, if you've ever been, you know, out west when the geysers that explode, there's some type of of geological event here where the spring would bubble. And there was this myth that if, if you could get into the water when it's bubbling, they thought angels were like stirring the water and then you would be healed but this invalid was unable to get his body into the pool first because only the, the person that got in first would get healed. That was the myth, that was the belief. And so when Jesus asked him the question, he kind of redirects Jesus to, this is what I think is gonna heal me. Now, how often does this happen in our everyday lives? When you talk about faith, someone instead of going to Jesus will go, well, I think if I just live a good moral life, I'll go to heaven. I think all religions go to heaven. You know, I, I think if we do this or I think, listen, it doesn't matter what we think, does it? It only matters what our creator has created for us. And so we have to seek the truth. We don't seek our own truth. We seek the truth, the way, the life. And so we've got to seek Jesus. And when we become a, a person that seeks out the truth, we will, we will pursue Jesus. And so th- this guy, he doesn't understand what, what, what's going on at this point. But Jesus says in verse eight, Jesus said to him, get up, <laughs> take up your bed and walk. And the man does. He gets up and he's healed immediately. Now this upsets the Jews. They are persecuting Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath and, and, uh, and all of this tension you know, This is part of why they don't love, like Jesus and why they want to get rid of him because he's doing things that they can't. Explain, but this man that Jesus heals he's hurting he's got a need just like so many people we interact with the man didn't ask for anything Jesus asked him the question do you want help right if you don't want help Jesus can't help you if you're if, if your friend doesn't want God's help there's nothing you can do all we can do is ask the question and pray for them This is a great example. Jesus comes and asks the man, do you want to be healed? And this shows to me that he is willing to have compassion. He, He cares about hurting people. So you and I have to be willing to care about hurting people, to ask the question, to pray, to share our life, right? If we don't have compassion, then there's no way that we're going to be able to share God's love. And so if you're taking notes, we have to be willing to share compassion, We share our life because we want to share compassion. We see the hurting, we see the needs, we see the brokenness of sin, and we step in and we do our part. We let our light shine. How do you know if someone is hurting? Let me say it again. How do you know if someone is hurting? They're alive. If they're alive, they're hurting. Everybody in this room has some type of problem today. Every single one of us are hurting in some way. Mine might be bigger right now than what you're going through or vice versa. Um, We we might say things are going pretty well right now, but you know what you will always carry? Pain from your past. So there's pain from our past. There's pain from our future. There's the future that is unknown that sometimes is painful for us to think about. And so every single one of us are going through some type of pain or some type of problem today, right? We all have these. Jesus says, do you care about those who are hurting? Again, this causes us to get outside of ourselves. When we have problems, we become very inward focused and we just get so focused on what we're going through that it's hard. But this is part of the growth and this is part of how we get out of depression and anxiety and how we get out of the problems that our culture really today is we get outside of ourselves and we get on the mission of God. That's part of the remedy. So like Jesus, do you care that others are hurting? Let me, let me talk about our community for a minute. Over the past three years, uh, the rising rates of depression anxiety have been well publicized. The rising death rates and deaths of despair from drugs and alcohol and suicide are all rising. In Tennessee alone. 2,388 people died from overdoses in 2020. Recovery centers in Tennessee say the opioid addiction is greater than than even alcohol addiction today. Murder rates have been surging. All crime is on the rise. 50% of marriages continue to end in divorce. The percentage of people who say they don't have close friends has increased fourfold since 1990. More than half of all Americans say that no one knows them well. The percentage of high school students who report, and I quote, persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness shot up from 26% in 2009 to 44% in 2021, almost half of all teenagers. There are around 8,500 children in foster care across the state of Tennessee currently, and around 450 kids that are up for adoption at any time in our state. Tennessee recently released a report called the, The State of the Child for 2022 and found that in the rankings of all states where the foster care instability was defined as three or more placements. Okay, so an unstable foster care system and placement system is what they're trying to track, and so they 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 identify that if a, a, a kid in foster care gets placed into three different homes, right? They can't find a good home, and so they have to shuffle them around at least three times. And so they they studied the entire country on the instability of the foster care system and and, and that's how they defined it. Guess where Tennessee ranked in all 50 states? Number one, number one, shouldn't be, that shouldn't be. Does anybody care? Does anybody care about any of this? Well, we tailgated yesterday, it was a great game. One in six, Connecticut, awesome. Do, do we care? I think we can care about both, by the way. I think we can, we can care about football, but I think we can care about the things that are most important. At FC, we, we do care, and we have been trying for 14 years to make a difference. We've tried to do our part. Uh, this year alone, we've been able to have almost 300 counseling sessions, um, by the way, the average cost of a counseling session is roughly $100 if you go to someone who is, you know, you know kind of um, cheaper, you know, $100, let's just say that. If that's the case, and we've done 300 and, and the year's not even over, we got two more years, but between our mentors and uh, our pastors, this is taking place. That, that means that we've saved uh, our own people roughly $30,000. That's pretty awesome. A lot more to come. I think a lot more to come. When we talk about raising money in the vision offering to buy land, I mean, long term, we, we would hope that that land would allow us to build a counseling center to help with these needs. And so that's why I ask, does anybody care? We're trying to do our part. You know, I, we've talked about it for the last two years. We're trying to get you on board. You know, we're, we're asking you to be a part of the problem. Remember, nobody is coming state's not coming government's not coming schools aren't coming little league's not coming you and me and the holy spirit that's all we got but that's all we need when you have compassion for people you do something about it you know when jesus comes up to the man sitting by the pool he's an invalid can't walk do you want to be healed well, what if what if the man said, Yeah, I do? And Jesus' response was, Well, I recommend that you Google invalids and in healing and see what comes up. I mean, a lot of times that's basically our response. Has anybody ever told you that? Like you ask a question and they say, Google it, and they kind of tick you off. Has anybody been ticked off by that? Yeah. What do you think about this? Well, just Google it. Well, gee whiz! How about a, I'm a human, let's have a conversation. (laughs) Hmm. When you care, you do something about it. Nobody's coming, so it's on you and I. Verse 14 of this same passage. Afterward, Jesus found the man. He was in the temple, walking around, healed. And he said to him, see, you are well. You know, reminding him, hey, see you, man. Looking good, up on the legs, it's awesome see that you're healed, what's Jesus say? Sin, no more. Sin, no more. Sin, no more. See, here's a connection. We want to be compassionate, but write this word down if you're taking notes, correction. This is a big um, distinction for us because we we can have compassion, but if there's no correction, then we've missed it. The state's not going to bring correction in the sense that they're they're not going to say, you need to repent and turn from your sin. No, we don't want to do that. We don't want to repent. We just want prescriptions to help us with our pain. We just want something that diverts from our pain. We want something that's going to make us feel better. No, Jesus says, hey, you're well. I showed compassion on you. Guess what? Go and sin no more. In John 8, when Jesus heals the woman caught in adultery, he says, go and sin no more. See, that's a huge distinction. Only the church is gonna share the truth, share the correction that leads to life, altering, forgiveness, and joy, and purpose. That's why it's on you and me. Let's keep reading in, turn to Matthew 9. Jesus is compassionate, right? He's compassionate. Verse 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. He had compassion for them. Why, because they were harassed, they were helpless, they were like sheep without a shepherd. When you watch the news, can you begin to see the people? Like begin to see the people as as helpless and harassed without leadership. When we see the, the pride community, Instead of getting angry, can we see them as harassed, helpless, and without a shepherd guiding them in correction and wisdom and truth? That's how Jesus looks at us. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. In other words, a lot of people would come to faith. A lot of people belong to me. A lot of people would give their life to me. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We gotta share our life. We gotta share compassion and correction. And you and I have to be willing to share in the work. Jesus said, we need more workers. We need more people who will labor. We need more people that will go to war. We are in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle and you've gotta go to war for your family. You've gotta go to war for your grandkids. You gotta go to war for your marriage. You gotta go to war for the good of our state. Now, there might be some liberals here. When I say go to war, I don't mean buy guns. I'm talking about a spiritual battle. We've gotta be laborers that pray for more leaders and workers, that become the leaders and workers that share their life, that share compassion, and that share the work of the Lord. How do we do that? We share God's love. We connect to God's people. We get equipped for God's mission. You become the laborer yourself. You become a worker. You share in the work and you share your life. You share new truth. You plant those seeds. Jesus says, pray, For more workers. What do workers do? Well, they serve. So that means each of us are a piece of the overall picture that God has for this church and for this city and the problems that this city in Knoxville and East Tennessee and in Maryville that we actually are facing. He's calling us to actually serve in those ways, right? So we serve and then we give, we give. This series is is leading us to the vision offering, which is a one-time gift. So I'm asking everybody to give a one-time gift. You can give it at any time. Just give it by November 26th. We've got two more weeks. And it's also an ongoing commitment to give. So I'm going to give a one-time gift, and I'm also going to continue to give uh, all throughout the year. And the reason why I always say it's an ongoing commitment to give, because there's a group of people that don't ongoingly commit. They don't continue to give. Um, We have a group of people that have been giving faithfully for many years. And all the things that we get to experience today is in large part because of their faithfulness. But there is a group that doesn't. And we ran some numbers this week. and, And actually, based on our attendance, and I'm also including all of our online attendance. So everybody that watches online, you're in this number And if you're watching online, getting fed and being a part, then we would expect you to to be a part of this vision offering as well. And we found that basically about 20% of our people are giving regularly. There's about 80% of the people that aren't giving at all. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people that don't give anything. So if that... 80% would step up, we'd be able to do a lot. But let's be a little gracious. Let's be a little gracious and say, I forgot to carry a one, okay? And 50% aren't giving, okay? 50%. How many coaches and anybody that played sports ever heard your coach give a pregame that said, all right, guys, I know it's been a rough week, a lot going on. But when we go out there tonight on that field, I want you to give 50%. I want you to give fifty percent, guys? Don't give it all. Don't lay it out. Not tonight. It's been too hard of a week. Of course not. Never heard that. You're told to lay it all out there. You're called to surrender it all. You're called to give everything that you have. <laughs> so many Americans, so many Christians, they don't give anything they have sometimes financially to the work that God has for us. If the people who aren't giving just gave $400 a month, $400 a month. That's a cell phone bill if you have a large family like mine. If you gave $400 a month, that'd be $7 million that you watching at home could help provide. You in the room in Knoxville, you in the room here. <laughs> that'd cover a lot of ministry in this city. If you gave $500, a one-time $500 gift, that'd be $750,000, dollars which means we'd be, we'd be well on our way when God opens the door to purchase land to be able to do that. See, you're lying to yourself if you say you love the Lord, but you don't give to the Lord's work. I don't mean to offend you, but I don't want you to lie to yourself. We've got to take our next step. We've got to take our next step as a church and as a people. Let me close with this. You see, you've got to remember. That someone shared with you someone shared with you in the early 1920s there was a church planted in knoxville called grassy valley baptist church that church began to grow and they moved locations and they ended up changing their name to grace baptist church where my dad was the pastor he went there in 1988 served there for gosh 40 almost years i think a lot he sent me and fifty people from that church to come out to Maryville to start a church in a school in the classrooms where we sent our kids uh, where you know it wasn't a great program and you know i wasn't a, a very good speaker and the bad lighting and bad sound and a gymnasium is a lot of hard work. most of you probably would never have gone to our church if we were still there let's just be honest you wouldn't have come um, but but there was a group that paid a price sacrificially to, to, to make that happen. And you heard me last week talk about how we moved into this building here on, on this highway and and continued to give, continued to serve. People started to, to, to believe. People started to give. God multiplied that. There's a lot of people in this room that have been here for many, many years. And your faithfulness is why we have this space. It's why we have a Knoxville location. It's why we can even talk about a vision offering at this scope because we have so many new people today. And so if you're a new person, if you're somebody that, that you know, maybe isn't giving, I just wanna remind you that there are a lot of people that shared so that your kids could have a place to learn about Jesus today. The, a lot of people paved the way and, and they were willing to sacrifice so that you could have a seat today. And I just want that to continue. I want us to accept our responsibility and I want us to together bless our community and together expand. I know that someone shared with me and it's because of their generosity that I'm here today. It's because of their generosity that I can sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. And if you're a believer today, if Jesus has changed your life, then someone shared with you and that's why you can sing that song as well. And so I want to close today by singing that song. Let me pray for us. God, we have been saved by your grace. What an amazing, sweet, sweet message and sound it was to our ears. And so today, God, we want to just remember how you have saved us and remember God, how you have grown us. And for those not taking taking a step of faith today, would you just speak to their heart, God, may they take the step that you are calling them to take. And together, we'll be able to solve the issues and problems that our specific cities are facing today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like this video and leave a comment. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss an upload from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, you can go to our website, foothillschurch.com, or by clicking the link in the description below.